This is more than therapy podcast. More than therapy. This is more than therapy. More than therapy podcast. This is more than therapy. More than therapy podcast. This is more than therapy podcast. And welcome to another episode of the More Than Therapy podcast. Today we have Miss Hannah Spank. Spanky. Spanky. <laughs> Miss <laughs> Hannah Spanky, who's going to talk to us about, you know, her life and what led her to be a relationship and life coach. Um, Hannah Spanky is a relationship and life coach and board certified clinical sexologist with a passion for helping couples and singles heal from the inside out. She has a taboo past of nearly a decade in the sex industry, addiction, and more. And through study and deep healing, she has turned her pain into her power. Now helping others to see their own greatness, understand each other better, and embrace themselves fully, mind, body, and soul. Today's guest, Hannah Spanky. Thank you, Hannah, for coming on the Morning Therapy Podcast on today's edition. Thank you for having me. People are led to the area of being a helper, what we call helping agents, helping persons, Mm -hmm. empowering people, because oftentimes because of a journey that you wouldn't think normally would lead you there. And in doing so, sometimes they find healing. They find that I've done so much damage. I've done so much wrong or the way I lived was so wrong or whatever. I want to help people that might find themselves in that same boat or same situation and they can find a better way. Some of us say that they want to be what they wish they would have received. Mm-hmm. Hannah, tell us about your journey regarding wellness and recovery and what led you to be a relationship and life coach. Yeah, thank you for that. So, I mean, it's been a crazy journey and exactly what you just said, it was something that when I think about it now, and I really reflect on like my whole entire life, the interest in just relationships, human connection, sex, all of it was, was always present, but it was always something that was a dysfunctional outlet rather than something that was positive. And so I remember being as young as nine, 10 years old, Googling things like what is sex? What is lesbian? (laughs) Trying to figure things out. And I, for half a second, thought that I would pursue a career in traditional sex therapy. And then I realized that there was just something that kind of turned me off to it. Um, I felt like it was very much like kind of being put in a box because I had to jump through this hoop, this hoop, that hoop, and then practice in a very specific way under a state board, all of that type of stuff. And so I strayed away. Um, Fast forward a few years later, in high school, I started partying very, very heavily. I was about 12 or 13 when I got drunk for the first time, and it really just never slowed down from there. By the time I quit drinking 10 years later, which is almost three years ago now, I was drinking like a 12 pack for breakfast kind of alcoholic. Like it was it was very, very severe, you could say, and nobody knew about it. Like it was to the point where I was hauled up in my house drinking, drinking, drinking by myself and just so buried in the shame of that. And it very much went hand in hand with 
the turns I took to get myself into the sex industry. Um, it was never my intention, but I ended up there. I remember being nine years old. I really think that this is like the seed that planted everything. I remember being nine years old. I had a conversation with my dad in the kitchen. It's crystal clear in my memory. He was trying. Now I understand as like an adult where he was coming from and what his intentions were trying to, I guess you could say, warn me about men's intentions at times and ulterior motives, et cetera, when it comes to dating and sex and all of that because at that age, I was already starting to get a little bit boy crazy. Um, but he told me almost word for word that men will give love or fake love for sex and women will give sex for love. Crazy to think that he would say that now, but I remember being really pissed off hearing that from him thinking that's not true. That's not true. And then as I progressed into my teenage years, I became very promiscuous in high school. And that is exactly what played out. I remember chasing, 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 like the desire to be claimed by somebody. I wanted to be somebody's girlfriend. I wanted to be somebody's person that they chose. And I never was. But I always was the person that was having sex with them. I was the one giving them the things that I thought was like, the treasure chest that was going to get me that title in exchange. And it never did. And so now that's one of the things I help people navigate and shed that kind of self-worth issue so that they can be in alignment with the relationships that they do want to have versus giving, 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 and then being confused about why they aren't getting what they want in return. So by the time I was 16, like a month after I turned 16, I graduated high school. Two years ahead of time, I was always very good at school, but I always had a problem with authority when it came to the dress code, attendance, that kind of stuff. And so I was trying to get out of there as fast as possible, and I wanted to go straight into college, and that's what I did. Um, but in doing so, I had a lot of problems with my dad growing up. I ended up separating from him and moving in with my mom, who had been out of the picture since I was young, but came back around when I was in high school she was very, very poor, very low income. We lived very poverty lifestyle in a trailer park. And she was still at that time struggling with a very severe meth addiction. And so you could say it was not an ideal circumstance for me to choose to go live there. But I did because it gave me a sense of freedom that I was always fighting for with my dad's under his household. And so in that place that I was at with my mom, I started noticing things that she would do. She would say, oh, I don't have the money for that thing, but I can go get it. And she would leave. She would go see so-and-so come back and have money. And so, you know, I wasn't stupid. I understood that something was going on there. Um, she wasn't cleaning people's houses, you know? And so I think that that kind of solidified, starting with that weird conversation with my dad when I was young, and then that being modeled for me throughout my teenage years, it really solidified the idea that as a woman, I could commoditize my body. It taught me that I could do that. And so at 16, right before graduation, I was going to go on my very last school trip to Disneyland. This was years ago when Craigslist personals was still a thing. And so this was before Craigslist killer documentaries and all of that. So I hopped on Craigslist. I remember just like shaking in my boots. I was so scared doing this, but I did it anyways. 
I made a list of all of my attributes, my physical features on this ad and said, send me these, these kinds of pictures, this kind of info about yourself. These are my prerequisites or whatever I was calling parameters at that time. And I just remember being like jarred. I was shook. I got so many responses right away, 30, 40 pictures of people's dicks in my inbox. And I was like, what the fuck? That was the first time I had ever seen anything like that um, coming at me in that sort of energy. And still don't know how I justified this in the moment, but I, I went forward. And the first time I ever engaged in something to do with sex work was at the age of 16. I met somebody. This is so crazy to think now, but I met somebody in the middle of the night, total stranger in an orchard <laughs> of all places. And we had sex. He gave me $100 and I thought that I was rich. I thought I was rich. I thought I made it. And so I took that money, went to Disneyland and I was so thrilled to have like this, this newfound outlet that I could get money from when I needed it or when I wanted it for something. And so that was a perk, but at the same time, and I didn't really realize the, the level of trauma I endured during this time until years later, I was also having nightmares. I was having these flashback images in my head all the time, not being able to sleep, waking up in cold sweats, the whole, the whole thing. And so it was rough for me to process, but also I don't think I did process it. I just kind of justified it and kept going, focusing on the thing that I thought was the, the positive in it. And then I kept on going. So I took a little break. I was a little scared, shaken up. I didn't do anything for a couple, a year and a half or so. And then at 17, I had a fake ID. I realized still that I could commoditize my body in this culture. That's what we're taught. You know, you drive down the freeway, unless you're in Vegas, maybe you see pictures of women in their bras and underwear all over the place. It's not really the same in the reverse. And so it's just, we get inundated with this concept that you can do that as a woman. And so I did. And I stepped into the strip stripping industry, I guess you could call it, but I wasn't legally allowed to at that time because I was only 17. So I used my fake ID to go to a house stripping company where they do bachelor parties and that sort of thing because I knew you didn't need a social security card. So I went there, signed up, and at the time I was lying to my boyfriend about it, first serious boyfriend, and he was very jealous, very controlling. And I, funny enough, wanted to do this anyways so that I had enough money to buy him Christmas presents. <laughs> so funny now when I think about it. But I, I did a couple stripping adventures, you could call it, and I had a very similar experience to that first time through the Craigslist ad where it was like this weird high. I felt really good, but at the same time, there was trauma that was just boiling under the surface and I didn't realize it. I was having these like flash memories, these nightmare type of things about all of the boundaries that were being crossed during those experiences took another little break due to the relationship I was in. And then after I left that relationship at 19, I stepped into the strip club, like an actual club full time. And I did that for three plus years in that environment. Honestly, in my seven and a half years of dabbling in and out and then fully diving into this industry all the way from stripping to camming to prostitution to escorting, whatever you want to call it. And I even did a little bit of porn in Vegas for a very, very brief time. Horrific experience. I'll talk about that in a bit. But 
in all of that, I would say the most traumatic was the strip club because it is such a dense, negative environment on both sides, the girls that you work with and the men that are there. It's just very, very unhealthy. And so I wanted to get out of the environment, but I didn't really know how to do anything else that could replace that amount of income. You know, I couldn't go get a job as a waitress and feel satisfied because I was making a ridiculous amount of money that just didn't add up to my skill set, to my education. And so it was very, very hard to want to leave it, even though I was killing myself on the inside and I was starting to become aware of it. And so in the very beginning, I was really strict. This is all I do. I'm just a stripper. I don't do anything else. And then that started to get looser. I started to have flimsy, porous boundaries with myself. And I would do a little bit of this, a little bit of that for extra money. And then eventually a halfway turning point or so in that three years, I started meeting my most regular, solid clients from the club outside of the club. After the three years was up, I couldn't take that environment anymore. And I transitioned into full-time escorting, what I called escorting, but really it doesn't matter what you call it. Escorting, call girls, prostitute, hooker. They all have different images when we think about them, right? You think of escort, you might think of like some pretty woman type of situation, somebody making thousands of dollars to be flown across the world versus you think hooker, you might think of somebody that's unattractive walking down the street in desperation. It's all the same. So I just want to really humanize the whole entire thing because it is a human experience regardless of the connotation on it. And so just bringing some mindfulness to the different terms we use to kind of justify the picture we're trying to paint, it doesn't really change much. So I was calling myself an escort, a sugar baby, you could say. I was going out and having long-term relationships with these men, anywhere from like one to three, four, five years. And so depending on their situation, on what our agreements were, I would see them weekly, monthly, a couple times a week when they were in town. It was all over the place, but I, just like a hairdresser, I had a clientele. And so that was what I did for years. And the impact that it had on me, I thought was very minimal. I thought it wasn't, I, it wasn't a big deal, but it was constantly reflected back to me as that's not true through my romantic relationships. I was in romantic relationships. I was in long-term serious relationships with boyfriends and doing this at the same time. And so as you can imagine, if you're a woman, you can imagine like, holy shit, how could I ever tell my partner I was doing that? If you're a dude, you can imagine, wow, I could never be with a woman doing that. And that's understandable because it is hard. It was hard. I'll tell you that. And so a lot of self-worth triggers came up all the time in these fights with my boyfriends. And now coming full circle, having done all of my own inner work to really heal from all of that wounding, I can see now in retrospect that the source of why I was even in those kinds of relationships where they were choosing me, but also not approving of me was because it was a mirror. It was a mirror that was equivalent to my inner world at that time. It was validating my lack of self-worth because mentally I was justifying, oh, I'm just going to go see this guy. I'm going to make 500 bucks. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. And then we can go out tonight. We can go party. And it was very much this like fast and loose lifestyle. And I thought I was quote unquote happy because I was in control. 
and that's a different story. I get real riled up talking about how sex work is packaged so horribly as women's empowerment when it is absolutely not. It's the quite the opposite. I thought I was empowered doing it. I really did. I felt like I was the one taking advantage of somebody else. And not to say that that's a good angle to have anyways, but I thought that I was in charge. I thought that I was in power. But deep down on a soul level, my unconscious self knew that that was not the truth, knew that that was not what was really happening. I was really sacrificing myself left and right. I was abandoning myself left and right. I was in codependent relationships in my private life that were constantly mirroring back to me that I wasn't good enough. And I was allowing that. I was tolerating that. And I kept choosing those people because on the inside, that's really what I knew to be true about myself. I knew that I wasn't, I didn't feel good enough in myself because while I was selling myself on the idea of empowerment on the deepest level, I knew that I was dependent on these men. And as long as that's the case, you're not empowered, you know? And so I was putting myself in situations. Thankfully, I never had a very dangerous encounter or anything that was very sketchy um, come up. Like I said, the worst ones were ever in the strip club, actual strip club environment. But my personal clientele at that time was, was decent, you could say. And so I never had any harm done to me physically, but mentally, emotionally, it took me a long time to wake up to the truth of the harm that I was indulging in and creating for myself by participating in that. And so that went very hand in hand with my addictions, cigarettes, alcohol, marijuana, because of my mom's addictions growing up, I never went past those, I guess you could say like socially normal ones, little smoking pot, a little bit of drinking alcohol, but I went all the way into those ones. How did you overcome your alcohol, cigarette, cannabis addictions? So I believe that I overcame my alcohol. Well, the alcohols, alcohol and cigarettes, they were married for me. They went together. And so those ones came together and they went together. And then cannabis was a little bit of a different story, which I'll talk about. But I think I overcame them very much simultaneously with overcoming my addiction to this sex work lifestyle that I was living. I was addicted on some emotional level to the, the validation that I was getting in the moment. It was like a hit of dopamine, a hit of approval from these men, from their money they were giving me, whatever it was that I, the angle I could grab onto that felt good enough to do it one more time, to do it one more time, like gambling, you know, you just one more time, it's going to be the one, one more time, it's going to be it. And so on the inside, like I said, there was a reality that was brewing that was not healthy, not, not happy, not, not good enough, not worthy. But on the external, I wasn't believing that. And so in order to balance that disconnect, that very cognitive dissonance, I was drowning myself in alcohol, smoking cigarettes, because that was the thing to do when you were out partying. And when I started to wake up, which happened through my last serious relationship before the one that I am in now, I started to wake up to the impact that these choices I was making were having on me and on the partner at the time. It was heartbreaking again and again and again and again. And I started to become more conscious of what I was doing. I started to have more self-awareness and 
you could say willingness to face what was really happening instead of painting it in glitter and calling it good. I was willing to face the truth that I was giving myself away in ways that I wasn't actually okay with. I would have never done those things for free, you know? And so I was giving myself away in ways that I wasn't actually okay with in exchange for something external, whether that was the pat on the head telling me I'm so great, I'm so pretty, or a stack of cash. None of that truthfully was ever going to make me happy. And when I finally, finally broke enough to realize that it came with the crumbling of that relationship, I stepped out of it. It was a mutual decision, but it was the most painful breakup I've ever been through. And I completely believe that it was very much tied to how much my self-worth or lack of self-worth at the time was being reflected to me in that. So really letting go of the relationship was like letting go of this identity I had created for so many years that I wasn't good enough. And now I was standing on my own and I had to believe that something different for myself. That was real empowerment at the time. And it was hard <laughs> letting go of alcohol. All of that happened in the same couple of months, the breakup, the quitting all of the addictions and leaving the industry all in a little, little nest chunk of time. And so it was really, really heavy for a few months. And it took such a big toll on me, but it was the first time that I was ever actually facing my emotions. I was feeling them fully. I was like allowing myself to, to break open, allowing my heart to crack open in feeling all of the pain that I had cultivated over the years through addictions to all of these substances to numb myself out so that I could keep justifying it, what I was doing the attachments that I had created to the men in my life, particularly that relationship, so that I could justify that I was never going to be good enough, and letting go of what I had known and created to be my only source of livelihood at that time. That was scary as hell. And so I knew I wanted to, to help people. I knew I wanted to help. I always did. And I knew that I always had an affinity for that type of thing helping people with their relationships, with their self-awareness, with their sex, all of that kind of stuff. And looking back on it, that is what I was doing with many of these sugar daddy type men. They were paying me for the physical interaction, of course, but it was more than that. They enjoyed my company because I was giving them the validation and the listening ear and the empathy and all of these things that they were not getting other, uh, other places, most of the time from their marriages. And so when I finally took the leap into starting my coaching a few years ago, four years ago or so, the very first target audience and, and program I had created was for divorced men over the age of 40 who had failed so many times in love and didn't want to do it again, realizing that time was no longer on their side. They wanted to learn how to do it differently. And that was the audience I went for immediately because that was who I understood. That was my clientele, <laughs> you know? And so I had a very unique and intimate understanding of why their relationships were failing. Why were they not able to tell their wife how they were feeling? Why were they not able to ask for what they needed in a relationship? Why were they paying strippers and prostitutes to fill those voids? And then having to keep coming back and coming back and coming back because it was never real satisfaction. I understood all of that to the core. 
And so for the first year or so of my business, that was who I helped. But I knew ultimately I wanted to help couples. So I started with men, moved my way into women. Once I had done enough healing of my own to feel competent in leading women through their own self-worth journey. And that's what I did. I absolutely fell in love with women all over again because with my mom leaving when I was five years old, I had a major wound around feminine connection and feminine relationships. I was the girl that would always say, oh, I like guys better. Guys are just easier. Guys are easier to understand when that's not true. It was because I was speaking from my wounds of I don't feel safe and comfortable with other women. And so as I healed those parts of myself, a lot of deep inner work, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of facing the hard shit, then I stepped into that work, built my comfort zone, built my foundation around supporting women in that deep work and being the leader there. And then I tied it all together. And for the last few years, I've been working with men, women, both separately, individuals. I don't just work with couples, singles too. But ultimately working with couples was my goal. And then in November of last year, I graduated a two plus year program, um, completing my clinical sexology certification through the board. And so now I get to help people really understand why their relationships are not the way they want them to be. Because truly that's the first step is the willingness to get that new awareness, to see the patterns that you, you yourself have been creating. You know, that was my biggest leap forward from these addictions, from the habits, from the lifestyle was the willingness to see how I was creating it, stepping over the line from the victim mindset of like, oh, these men are doing this. This boyfriend is doing that. It wasn't ever them. It was me. I was the one that signed up for it every single day. And so I really am careful when I talk about that because I've gotten some, you know, TikTok's a crazy place. I've gotten some wild comments on TikTok of people saying that it's victim shaming, victim blaming, blah, blah. And that's not true. There's a difference between acknowledging that somebody can be victimized, absolutely true, and somebody choosing to be a victim in their own mindset and inner experience. And so that's what I'm speaking to, the mindset around what's going on in your life, the perspective you're seeing your life through. I finally stepped over that line and was willing to be truly empowered, no longer victim living cloaked in fake empowerment. And with all of that personal transformation, really like Phoenix rising from the ashes type of stuff, I took everything I learned and lived through into my profession, which is what I do now. And in the last four years, I've done plenty of other certifications and studies and emotionally focused couples therapy and Gottman method couples therapy and all of these other things and pieces. And a lot of what I focus on now is helping people heal and why I said from the inside out in the intro is because I had such a crazy over-identified identity with my body as a woman, with my sexuality. Starting to charge for my coaching was impossible feeling, but I could charge twice that much for an hour of some dude's time before that when they had access to my body. But somebody having access to my mind, my heart, my soul, pouring into them for three months at a time, that was impossible for me in the beginning. And so building that bridge, crossing that bridge, I really started to understand how important it is that we have a healthy, grounded relationship with our own bodies in ourselves, because that's where all the wisdom we need lives. 
that's where everything we need lives. That's where our intuition lives. And so that is what I help people do really anchor in to the truth of their body and peel away the layers of trauma that they may have identified with throughout their entire lives. As I did, there's no right or wrong about it, but the truth capital T truth is that it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be the things you went through, you know? And so having forged myself through that fire, that's now what I'm very passionate about helping people do for themselves. Indeed, indeed. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing your story, Ms. Hannah Spanky. Regarding the transition, I'm glad you brought that point, transitioning from one lifestyle to another, and then the, you know, how you have to adhere to a, a higher standard of living in many ways and mm -hmm. get recertified and get CEUs and people don't understand why you have to charge this much because of what, they're, what you're covering. You're covering the education, you're covering the recertification, you're covering, you're covering the professional standard in which you get to. It's funny, you'll pay this amount of money for this thing that in many ways will hurt you. But mm -hmm. when it comes to you helping yourself and getting better, you're more hesitant to pay it. I know right. people that have a sliding scale as low as $50 and people are like, oh, I can't afford that. But then I see them two weeks later at a, a restaurant that easily costs $87 a plate mm -hmm. <clears throat> or get their nails done, which costs $40 down the street or get their hair done or you know whatever they're gonna do to spend money, won't spend money to go to the gym because it costs $40 a month, whatever. But yet mm -hmm. they'll constantly eat out every lunch. They go into a restaurant where they spend no more, no less than $15. In a week, you already spent more than what you needed to do to address your wellness. Yep. We live in some yep. very, very interesting time. That is a real strong transition from where you were to where you're at. How do you address your wellness regarding such a transition? And just you being, because when we help and we pour so much into other people, Oftentimes we don't really get poured into to reciprocate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I really, really, truly make it a point to invest in every single part of myself. I have the most holistic approach when it comes to my clients, mind, body, soul. That's why I say all the time, because just like we've heard in like maybe football movies or something, the team is only as strong as the weakest link. You are only as strong as your weakest link. And so if you're studying and you're in the books all day long and you're meditating on a mountain all the time, but you are eating like shit and treating your body like crap, then, you know, that's not a holistic approach. Something will be failing at some point. And so the way I maintain my integrity with the work that I do is I invest in all, all of those parts. And so I have a very, very strong meditation practice. My spirituality is, is I would say, my top priority um, so that I can stay grounded, connected to the earth, connected to my divine connection and staying tapped into my own intuition, my own wisdom and asking for that guidance every single day. So that's number one. I invest in my health. I actually, in the last few months, I hired a, a trainer and I was doing some things on my own before that, a lot of walking, that sort of stuff. But I realized I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I needed help. And so I hired a trainer. Um, and now I do weight training six days a week. I have a very clean diet at this point in the past. That was absolutely not true. It was like what you said, just, you know, oh, I want this thing. I'm going to go buy that thing, even though I'm putting it on a credit card, even though I know I shouldn't be eating this. And it was just this mindless living 
And so now mindfully, I am living my life as mindful as possible. So my spirituality is number one. My physical fitness has become uh, another top priority. I mean, I just hit a leg workout downstairs before hopping on this call because I know now that everything is frequency. And when we are not investing in making ourselves be at that frequency we want to live at every single day through our mind, our body, and our spiritual actions, then we can't be surprised when our life doesn't reflect the frequency we want to see, you know? And so um, that's my physical side of things. And then mentally, I also have a coach for that. Um, and I, I definitely get the support there. I work with a lot of different spiritual healers and I, a big piece with the feminine healing for me personally is really, really investing and relearning how to lean on my friendships and actually use them as the support that they are, um, versus in the past telling myself the story that I had to do it all alone. And so mind, body, spirit, that is my focus every single day, checking every single one of those boxes. Indeed, indeed. Sound like you're doing what you need to do to address your wellness and recovery as you address those that you help regarding their wellness and recovery. It's a beautiful place to be. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Um, so you have, you know, you have, you're not just doing life coaching and relationship coaching, you know, you have other ventures. Mm -hmm. um, entire screen. Let's go to, yeah, messing up. <laughs> um, the next thing, you know, some things you have are, you know, your website where you have a, um, you have your, you know, information regarding your, um, you know, where you're going. I mean, what you can do, what you can get is um, not, it's not optimal right now because, you know, you're doing some things in the background to um, put some right. other features on there. But, you know, the person can subscribe to your email list to get the updates. Yeah. So you can go to handyspanky.com and you can see all these. Um, you can see how to get in contact or get on the mailing list so you don't miss out on informational updates regarding the things that she's doing. One of the things that you're doing is also. One of the things you're doing is also um you have a retreat coming out. And I think that is amazing. I have a friend who does retreats and some of those retreats that she does for couples and things like that are absolutely amazing regarding people's healing. And this year, tell us about your, your retreat. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about this upcoming retreat. So um, I'm hosting a couples retreat and I want to be very clear. What I mean by couples is all couples, straight couples, gay couples, lesbian couples, all are invited. And um, I also feel open to inviting like a pair of best friends who are willing to do the work together, even if they don't want to bang each other. You know, I'm open for that as well. And so um, it's an all inclusive couples retreat hosted on the big island of Hawaii this year in May, the end of May, May 18th to the 23rd. There are only four spaces available, four couples, four duos. And I did that very intentionally so that we can go as deep as possible and maintain the intimacy between the entire group the entire time. So we're going to be doing a lot of stuff, a lot of really, really fun stuff, as well as a lot of the deep inner work. And we're going to really balance it out every single day. And so everything is included other than your flight to get there, basically. And so some of the trips we're going to do, we're going to do a volcano national park trip. We can go multiple times a day because it's literally in the backyard of the house that's going to be hosting us. 
Um, it's currently erupting right now, so I hope it won't be once we get there. <laughs> um, we're going to go to a couple waterfalls, black, uh, black sand beaches. Uh, we'll have a private chef with us the entire time, a photographer with us the entire time. So all of your memories are preserved. And my intention with the retreat is to really allow couples to reconnect to understand each other on a deeper level than they ever have before whether they're newly together or been together for 25 years this is something that's designed to reignite the reason why you came together in the first place and have you feel really fortified and reinforced in in that relationship going forward leaving the retreat knowing that you have the confidence to maintain that spark for as long as you want so i'm very much looking forward to this especially the private chef part. <laughs> mm, I don't hear you. And then earlier you talked about, you know, your your TikTok ventures and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to navigate TikTok. I'm still learning the ropes, <laughs> but <laughs> you seem to have a good handle on it based on your conversations and your topics and your, your the topics seem very, very um, focused. And it looks like they get the job done regarding engagement and regarding to helping people, you know, uh, uh, probably address topics that they normally wouldn't <laughs> normally address or, yeah, and it's funny how you have questions like, oh, I wish I knew more about that. And then boom, mm -hmm. regarding um, things like this, it looks like you have a good point of access regarding information that they might have thought about, didn't know who to talk to about it, not even their best friend, because it's, you know, like you said earlier, air quote, taboo. But why is right. anything sexual? Why is anything taboo between two loving partners, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, so my TikTok and my Instagram are both just my first and last name, at Hannah Spanky. Um, you can see my TikTok is is growing, 67,000 followers. I intend to to keep that train going. But yeah, TikTok is a wild, wild, wild west kind of place. That's where all the bottom feeders of the world really hang out. So it's a rough place sometimes. But um, Instagram is, I would call Instagram like my home. That's where I really um, spend the most time and make the most content every day. Mm -hmm. So if you want to stay connected with me, that's the place to do it. Free content every single day. And um I, I really like to stay connected to the people that are there. Indeed, indeed. It's a, it's a wonderful space. I spent some time there yesterday and I don't normally subscribe to people, but I was like, you know what? There's some good stuff on here. I'm going to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then your podcast, which is what yeah. I'm very interested in. Fuck yourself happy. Tell yes. us about your podcast. Well, I mean, <laughs> My podcast. Read, I can read it right here, but you know, if you want to use that. <laughs> yeah. So um, my podcast has been a very long time coming. It's something that I knew I wanted to do for years. And then I finally, um, just like so many things that we've talked about, had the self-worth to do it. And so about a year ago, maybe nine months or so ago, I started it. And it was just very lax. Like I just made it clear, like, I'm going to do this whenever I feel called to record something, I'll do it. And so over the, the last nine months of last year, I recorded probably seven episodes, maybe six or seven episodes. 
Um, one of them is a two and a half hour long, like movie length episode, tell all about my whole entire sex work journey with a Q and A at the end that people submitted. And that one is my most played episode. It's really, really um, exposing, I would say. I think it's the third episode. And then um, this year going forward, I definitely wanted to implement a little bit more structure so that there's more um, structure for the listeners to know what's coming, to know what to look for. And so going forward for all of 2023, I'm releasing a bi-weekly episode. So every other week on either Monday or Tuesday, there will be a new one out. And I am pretty free flowing with how it comes out. And in the very beginning, it might've been before we started the recording, you used the word raw. <laughs> that is very much the style of my podcast. I don't even have an intro. I don't have an outro. And I'm liking it that way. I'm just like, hey guys, what's up? This is the show. This is how I'm feeling today. And this is what we're talking about. And then I go into a lot of stuff about self-worth, a lot of stuff about higher perspectives of relationships and, and how you can really make the most out of them. And the reason that Fuck Yourself Happy is the title that came to me is because in the last two years of my study of my clinical sexology journey, um, I really unlocked a lot of healing for myself personally through my sexuality. As you can imagine, that was a huge source of my trauma for so many years. And so I had a very dysfunctional, like lopsided relationship with it. And then relearning how to connect with my body in a way that what, like, if you think about it, our sex, that's where we all come from, you know? And so that is our most potent life force energy. That is the energy of all creation. And so when we learn how to harness that and to use it for our own benefit, it can really truly be transformational to your whole life. And so that is kind of where that title came from. Fuck yourself happy, quite literally. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's, I would say my favorite outlet for creating content because it gets to be as raw as possible. Indeed, indeed. We're gonna go to a commercial break and we'll be right back. I can't breathe. I have migraines, numbness, weight loss. I live with it every day. The illness that I'm suffering from is an anxiety disorder, and it deserves to be treated like any other illness. But it's not. Hey, boss. Okay. I said I'm fine. back to the more than therapy podcast hannah thank you for coming on the show this lovely beautiful day tell us you know more about you know how to get in contact with you and leave us with any words of transition as we move on as we address our wellness and recovery regarding our sexuality and just our being a better person you know by addressing some of the things our past highly controls or hardly impacts our present or can. I know sometimes when a client transitions to me for therapy, they're like, I don't want to tell my story all over again. 
well, you know, your past may be impacting your present, but we don't even have to go there if you don't want to. How is that impacting you today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so I would say the best way to get a hold of me is through Instagram. Um, if you ever want to, if you have a question or something personal, the DMs and Instagram is the place to go. If you're not on Instagram, you can always reach me at hannahspanky at gmail.com. Everything is my first and last name. With a name like Spanky, it's not always taken. It's never taken. So that's where you can reach me at everything. Um, and if you are interested in the couples retreat, you can book your spot. You can save $222 off for early bird pricing if you're interested in grabbing your spot, one of the only four spots before February 1st. And so I would take advantage of that if you are interested because it will absolutely be selling out. And so that is hannahspanky.com slash couples retreat Hawaii if you want to check it out. And there's also a link to that in my bio on Instagram at hannahspanky. So that's the best way to reach me to stay in contact. And Fuck Yourself Happy is on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, any of the other podcast platforms you usually listen to. Um, now, as far as some words of wisdom to leave you with, what's coming to mind is two things. Number one, your past does not dictate your future. And I mean, it can have an impact on your future. It does have an impact on your future, but every single second is your future. And that's something I really like to, to bring to people's awareness. Like the future starts right now and right now and right now and right now it is never not starting. And so when you really take, take that for, for what's the word, when you really believe that and you really wake up to that truth that the future is not coming, the future is now, you can really take things into your own hands and decide in any moment, like you can wake up tomorrow on a, on a random day in the middle of the day while you're eating lunch and decide to change your whole entire life. And nothing that you did up until that point has to have um, a say so in what you decide to do going forward. And so if you don't know how to do the things that you want to do, because I know that that's really where most people get hung up is they, they might have an idea of what they want, but they don't know how to achieve it. Get help, ask for help. You know, this podcast is a fabulous outlet. You can reach me specifically if you're interested in the work that I do and how I help people on Instagram and my email and other places, like I mentioned, get help because I guarantee you there's somebody that exists that knows the path that has been down the path that you can relate to, that you vibe with, that is more than eager to help you achieve everything that you're wanting. And so I think a lot of times we sell ourselves short by buying into the story that we can't do it because we don't know how, or because we have to do it alone. And that's just not true. The future starts right now and you can make it whatever you want it to be truly. The world is yours. And then the other piece that's coming to mind is just kind of on that same note, you are the creator of your life, you know? And so this is circling back to that victim mindset piece, whatever you've been through, it could be moderate. It could be the most severe story in the world. You are the one that gets to heal. You are the one that gets to decide what tomorrow will be for you. You are the one, you are the one. (laughs) That's the message really is that whatever your life will be, it's because of the choices that you are going to make. And so sometimes that can feel daunting. It can feel confronting because it feels like the world is on your shoulders. But when you step out from underneath that victim cloud and you realize, oh shit, 
the world is on my shoulders and it's a different angle, a different perspective. You can really like light a fire under your own ass and feel empowered to achieve everything you want in this life because you know that you are the one that's in charge of that and nobody can ever take that away from you. Indeed, indeed. Thank you, Ms. Hannah Spanky, for your perspectives. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Modern Therapy Podcast. And you can do so by pushing play, subscribe, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Be well and be great. And thank you once again, Ms. Hannah Spanky. Thank you for having me.